0: You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. From the howls that are going up from business, one would think Alistair Darling was taking sweets out of the mouths of babies. If so, they are big and noisy babies. But howls are not arguments. The capital gains tax regime left by Gordon Brown was a mess. While the reform introduced in the pre-budget report is imperfect, it is at least an improvement. That is not what one would conclude from the clamour. The tax on disposal of business assets has gone up by 80%, shriek some. A favourable tax regime should never be changed, yell others. The tax regime that encouraged us to become entrepreneurs has vanished, cry others again. We will all throw our toys out of our British prams and leap into foreign ones, howl yet others. How much attention should the Chancellor pay to all this? None. He should be a tough parent and ignore the crying. The system of taper reliefs introduced by Mr Brown made no sense. They were an example of his belief that the man in the Treasury knows best. The underlying idea was that short-term speculation is bad. But the market liquidity, on which London's position as a financial centre rests, depends on speculation. Furthermore, there is no reason why longer-term holdings of financial claims would promote investment in longer-term assets, as Mr Brown believed. These tapers merely represented arbitrary interference in decisions on how long to hold assets. It is also impossible to justify the distinction between business and non-business assets. As an employee of Pearson, my holdings via Save As You Earn and Executive Incentive Schemes are counted as business assets, whilst my holdings in other companies are not. This distinction presumably rests on the assumption that employees will work harder if they hold shares in their employing company. There is no reason to believe this, except perhaps for a handful at the top. Far more compelling is the opposite argument. People should diversify their risks away from shares in their own employers. It is true that a capital gains tax on shares involves an element of double taxation, to the extent that companies also pay capital gains tax via corporation tax. In fact, corporation tax ought to be abolished, as Willem Boiter of the London School of Economics pointed out in a letter to the FT this week. But the existence of this bad tax cannot be used to justify a higher capital gains tax on personal holdings than on business ones. Some trot out the canard that businesses represent enterprise in the way that, say, personal investments in buy-to-let properties do not. So estate agents or developers specialising in such property run valuable enterprises worthy of tax breaks, but investors in such property do not. Could someone explain what the former would do without the latter? What, again, should one make of complaints about the 80% increase in the lowest rate? Well, if the previous rate had been zero and the proposed rate 10%, this change would then represent an infinite percentage increase. It is true that an 8 percentage point rise in a 10% rate is a larger proportional rise than a jump from 40 to 70%. Which is worse? The answer is evident. What matters is the ultimate rate. Does anyone believe that potential entrepreneurs will give up because they will now receive 82% of the gain on their businesses instead of 90%? This leaves us with the complaint that the Chancellor has undermined previous expectations that Labour would cling to even its silliest ideas. I do appreciate the desire for a stable tax system. Yet while that ought indeed to be a consideration, it cannot be the overriding one. If it were, the UK would still have a 98% top rate of tax on so-called unearned income, not, I suggest, a level anybody in business believes the country ought to keep. It would be better if silly ideas were never introduced, but once they are, it is surely better to get rid of them than to keep them to the end. It is true none of this justifies either the elimination of indexation of the tax base, which should have been kept, or the rate chosen, But unless one wishes to argue for a shift to a lifetime expenditure tax, as I would, it is far easier to argue that the new 18p rate is too low than too high. It is child's play for people to turn income into capital gains. That is what lay behind the private equity wheeze of carried interest, which is uncertain income and ought to be taxed as such. If anything, Mr Darling could have gone further towards a comprehensive income tax while lowering marginal rates. Is this unthinkable? Far from it. Nigel Lawson, arguably the most reforming Chancellor of the past half-century, brought capital gains tax into line with income tax in his famous 1988 tax-lowering budget. Let none of today's Conservatives pretend that Mr Darling has introduced some interventionist Labour wheeze. On the contrary, he has taken a step away from one towards the rather more sensible position left by Mr Lawson. Arguments from relatively well-off people that they ought to have their incomes taxed at far lower rates than everybody else because of the benefits they shower upon us all should be treated with contempt. Mr Darling should ignore them and concentrate instead on getting rid of even more of the clutter he has inherited. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.